And then our sermon reading from Matthew 5, 1 through 12. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Robert. Let us pray. Gracious God, we come before you ready and willing to receive your grace. It's the one thing that each of us in this room have in common, that we need your grace. We need it at every moment. We need it as deeply and as richly and as widely as you would possibly be willing to share it with us. And so we claim your promises that your grace is ours in Jesus. So speak to us now through your word. May your word be indeed your word, not my word. May the thoughts and meditations of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. By the power of your spirit in us, we pray. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Well, we've been working our way uh, through the beginnings of the gospel of Matthew, and we come now to the Beatitudes. Actually, we came to the Beatitudes last week, for those of you who were here, you know that Greg Grooms preached on one particular beatitude. And so we're going to back up and back out a little bit and do two weeks in the beatitudes, uh, one sermon today and one sermon uh, upcoming, and kind of give a broader overview of what the beatitudes are about. Uh, maybe a story as an illustration to get us started. Uh, before the movie The Right Stuff, there was a movie in 1952 about the breaking of the sound barrier. It was called, uncreatively, The Sound Barrier. And this movie uh, portrays all the pilots attempting to break that 735 mile an hour speed and break the sound barrier. And they would get close and their uh, planes would start shaking and the instrument panels would go haywire and they would crash and they would have to bail out. And time after time after time, until Chuck Yeager finally got in his plane and he broke the sound barrier. And in this particular movie, he is portrayed as having had this revelation that the problem with breaking the sound barrier is once you get into that new zone of flight, your controls work backward. So instead of pulling back on the throttle to go up, you need to pull back on the throttle to go down or forward on the throttle to go up. And so Jaeger in this movie portrayal decides to take a risk and he hits the barrier and rather than pulling back on the throttle to go up, he pushes forward on the throttle to go up and it works and he lives and the rest is history. Except it's not because it's actually a fictional portrayal of how it actually happened. Chuck Yeager was asked, did, did, 
did you really do that? And he's like, no, it's way more complicated, and that's actually not scientifically how it works at all. But it, it makes for a good movie, right? So never let the truth get in the way of a good movie. Never let the truth get in the way of a good sermon application because <laughs> this is a great illustration of what's going on in the Beatitudes. Jesus is committed to turning your life upside down and inside out. In fact, he's committed to turning the world upside down and inside out. Or maybe we should say right side up, right? Jesus has come and what's he been doing? He's been announcing the kingdom. The kingdom of God is now at hand because the king is here. Jesus is the king. And so the gracious and peaceable rule and reign of God is now available to all people through Jesus. And this is life-changing. This is turning the way that the world works upside down on its head completely. The kingdom of God is arriving. And in the kingdom, everything is topsy-turvy in the best sort of way. In the kingdom, the controls work backward. In the kingdom of God, values that we'll see in the Beatitudes and further in the Sermon on the Mount, like love and mercy and forgiveness and peacemaking and righteousness seeking, those are the values that matter and bring flourishing to our lives and the world by God's grace in and through us. And so the Beatitudes give us a vision of this upside-down kingdom upside down in the culture and values that we see, and we'll take a look at that next week, but also upside down in terms of the value of those who are invited to enter into the kingdom. And that's what I want to look at with you briefly this morning, the value that Jesus places on those who are invited to take their place in this kingdom. It's an upside down value system. The controls work completely the other way. What are the Beatitudes, after all? They're not a statement of the way that the world works, because the world doesn't always work this way. Those who mourn sometimes will go to their grave mourning. Those who strive for peacemaking will find their efforts thwarted sometimes. It's It's not a picture of the way that the world works, and it's not a set of commandments, even, saying, thou shalt do these kinds of things. No, the Beatitudes are blessings, right? And you heard Robert read that over and over. Blessed are those. And some of you who have grown up in the church or have been followers of Jesus for a while are familiar with the term blessing. You know it happens. You know about Psalm 1, blessed is the one who doesn't stand in the counsel of the sinner, etc., etc. You may even know that Moses, when he brings God's first covenant to God's Old Testament people, brings them a set of blessings for keeping covenant and curses that come when you don't keep covenant. So the Beatitudes is a set of blessings, but what does that even mean? What does it mean to be blessed by God, and what is Jesus offering in these Beatitude blessings? To his original hearers who are sitting there on the hillside, and to us this morning, what does it mean that we are blessed because the kingdom has arrived. Uh, It's been so fun and fascinating 
to read the literature on the Beatitudes, the different pastors and theologians and commentators who have studied this throughout the centuries, from the first century all the way until now. They love sinking their teeth into the Beatitudes and particularly into this word blessing because it has such a rich range of meaning. Uh, Some have translated the word blessing, welcome, because Jesus is using it to announce that the kingdom has come and to welcome people into it. Welcome, exclamation point, is one way to get at the meaning of blessing. Uh, Another has translated it simply, good news, exclamation point, has arrived because the kingdom has arrived. One says this, that Uh, It's best captured by the word congratulations. Congratulations for those of you who are receiving the invitation and coming into the kingdom. Congratulations. Blessing. Uh, Some translate it happy because it has a connotation of joy and of fullness. My favorite, and I think the one that for me helps capture the sense best in English, uh, is an Australian phrase, good on ya. Anyone know this? Has anyone had a friend, let's do it this way, has anyone had a friend go visit Australia and then they come back and they're saying good on you all the time to you? Have anyone had that happen? I've had that happen. It's okay, but it's a great phrase. It basically means, hey, good for you. You're in a favored position. And that's what blessing means. When Jesus pronounces the blessings to those who receive his invitation into the kingdom, he's saying, good on you. Good for you. You are now in the favored position in life. And so think about this for a moment. Of whom do we say in our lives and in our worlds, good on you. You're in a favored position. Of whom do we say, hey, good for you you're experiencing the good life. And of whom does Jesus in the Beatitudes say, good on you, welcome in. You now are experiencing the good life. We'll get to the first question toward the end. For now, let's just dig into the second question a bit in the text. Who does Jesus say, welcome, blessings, Good on you. The kingdom is here and it's yours. To whom is he speaking? Well, we see in verse 1 that Jesus sees the crowds. And so he goes up onto the mountain, more like a hillside. And he sits down, which is what a rabbi would do in the day to teach. He sits down and his disciples come. So we have crowds and we have disciples. And then Matthew here says that Jesus teaches his disciples. That's the them referenced in verse 1. But at the end of the Sermon on the Mount we see that Jesus had been talking to the crowds as well. So he's talking to both. He's talking to the disciples and he's talking to the crowds. Well, who are the disciples and who are the crowds? If you remember from chapter 4, the disciples are fishermen, right? There's four of them at this point that we know of. They've left their nets and they've followed Jesus. They're middle-class businessmen, And they're coming to be with Jesus and to enter into his kingdom and to be his disciples. And then who are the crowds? Do you remember who the crowds are? Chapter 4 again, verse 23. Jesus went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues 
and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. And so his fame spread throughout all Syria. And so they brought him. Here's who they brought him. They brought him the sick. They brought him those afflicted with various diseases and pains. They brought him those oppressed by demons. They brought him the epileptics and the paralytics, and he healed them. Who are the crowds that are coming to Jesus? Who are those to whom Jesus is saying blessings on you as you receive and enter into my kingdom, this upside-down, topsy-turvy, right-side-up world that God is establishing in me? Jesus is addressing those who are in front of him, the least, the last, and the lost, right? He's addressing those who have been marginalized from society because of their physical ailments. He's addressing those who have been marginalized from society because of their emotional or mental ailments. He's addressing those who have come to Jesus, and why are they coming to Jesus because they have nowhere, nowhere else to go and no one else to turn to. And so they are coming to Jesus. When Kathy and I, well, we didn't move to New York City together. When I first moved to New York City and then Kathy and I lived there for 10 years or so, you learn very quickly that if you're going to take the subway, I have some Brooklyn friends here, if you're going to take the subway and it's a crowded rush hour time, and the subway pulls up, and there's an empty car, what do you learn? You don't get in that car, right? You don't get in an empty subway car, because invariably it means there's one person in that car. And that one person is a mess. And that one person smells really badly. And you don't get in. And that's the person that came to mind as I thought about these people who are sitting on the hillside, listening to Jesus. The people that the rest of society look at and say, I'm not going to get in that car with you. And it's to that person in that subway car that Jesus would walk right in and sit down right next to and touch them and say, hey, listen, good on you. The kingdom's here. And you know what? The kingdom is for you. The kingdom is for everyone who will receive it and come in just because they know that they need it. The value system of who the kingdom is offered to is a topsy-turvy value system. Who of, of whom do we say you are living the good life, good on you? Of whom did Jesus say the good life is here for you? Good on you, come get it. We see this in particularly the first blessings and those who receive the first blessings. One theologian says that before the Beatitudes are calls to good behavior, which they are, before they are calls to good kingdom behavior, they are first blessings on those in bad situations, which simply means they're all about grace which is what we believe and know in the first place. 
Who are these kinds of people? Blessing, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And we want to immediately look at poor in spirit and say they're the humble. They're those who know that they need a Savior. And that is true. But it's not the first truth. Who are the poor in spirit who are sitting in front of Jesus? They are the poor. And their poverty has ground them down to a point where their spirit is completely impoverished as well. And they've got nothing and nowhere to turn to. Do they recognize it and turn to Jesus? Yes. But his blessing comes to the one who is empty. We prayed this. Or we had the assurance of pardon spoken over us. Jesus says to those who come to him with their what? With their nothing. With their emptiness, with their poverty. Our Old Testament reading, which Jesus grabs onto as his capstone scripture in the Gospel of Luke chapter 4, is that he has come to proclaim good news to the poor and the oppressed. The Beatitudes are first describing those who come to Jesus with their nothing before they then call those who receive Jesus into a life of fullness and kingdom living. You can see it in the next three Beatitudes as well. It's easiest for me and my logic to think backward from four to two. Blessing four is in verse six. Sorry for all the numbers. You can track with me. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Hungering and thirsting is a way of communicating extreme need and devotion. It's something that drives everything about you. That this food or this drink that I need is capturing my entire imagination and dictating my entire life. Hungering and thirsting for righteousness, right? That's a loaded Bible word that we'll talk more about in the Sermon on the Mount. But righteousness essentially means the way that things are when they're put right. And God has a righteousness that he's going to bring. And we have a righteousness that ought to reflect God's righteousness in the way that we treat one another in society. And a righteousness that characterizes who we are as persons made in God's image, right? These are the people that are longing for righteousness to come in its fullness, for things to be put right fully, to be able to participate in that on a personal, relational, societal, spiritual, everything level. They're longing for it. And then track back with me to beatitude number three. Blessed are those who are meek, for they will inherit the earth. What does meekness mean? Meekness means either without power, that's actually what the Greek word is translated, those who have no power, or it means to wield your power in such a way that you soften it for the good of others. Right? Jesus was meek in that he wielded his power in a way that was soft for the sake of us. But meekness can also mean those who just don't have the power. Blessed are those, blessed are you, Jesus says, sitting in front of me. Blessed are you who hunger and thirst after righteousness for your people, for yourself, for everything, and you're meek and you can't make it happen. You cannot bring it to be. You don't have that power within yourselves. Blessed are those, beatitude number two, who mourn, for they shall be comforted. You long for righteousness, you can't affect it, and you mourn for its lack in your own life, in the life of your friends, in the life of those around you. What is Jesus saying? Blessing, blessed are you, good on you, who have nothing to come to 
but your own need. To come with, but your own need. The kingdom is for you. Stop and think for a moment and reflect, and we'll be done. The kingdom of heaven is a kingdom of grace. The kingdom of heaven is a kingdom of good news. Those who enter in are the fortunate ones, are the ones who are grasping onto and experiencing the good life as God defines it. Who are those people? They are the people who need it the most. The kingdom is for everyone, but Jesus is looking at those who are sitting in front of him. And they're hurting. And he's saying, the kingdom is for you. I want you to know. You're right here in front of me. I want you to know this kingdom is for you. Do we see ourselves with eyes of faith? And do we see others with this kingdom eye of faith? In other words, again, the Beatitudes originally described people in deplorable situations and then secondarily, people with remarkable dispositions. That's a quote. A pastor named Frederick Dale Bruner. I'll say it again. The Beatitudes originally described people in deplorable situations and only secondarily, people with remarkable dispositions. The Son of God simply blesses broken people. Jesus' Beatitudes are sheer gift. Do you see yourself as somebody who outside of Christ is in a deplorable situation, the likes of which you cannot fit? Or do you intuitively think of yourself as somebody with a remarkable disposition who deserves to be in the kingdom? Man, that's a hard question, isn't it? If we're honest with ourselves, even if we know, and so many of us do, that the kingdom is a kingdom of grace, that salvation is by grace through faith alone. Jesus brought it, he won it, he gifts it, and yet we go about our daily lives sliding into a groove of, I have a pretty remarkable disposition, and I think God ought to let me participate in his kingdom. The Beatitudes is calling us with a challenge to see ourselves anew and afresh with eyes of grace. For some of us, this is fantastic news because we know right now we have nothing to bring. Some of us here are mourning and we don't know how to stop and we don't know how to change what is the cause of our mourning. Some of us feel deeply our lack of righteousness. Some of us feel deeply the lack of righteousness around us. This resonates with us and the good news is, friends, the kingdom is here in Jesus and it's for you. So the first challenge and comfort is how do we see ourselves? The second challenge and comfort is like it. How do we see those around us, in our neighborhoods, in our city, even on our row at church? Of whom does our world say, good on you, you're living the favored life? Right? We say that of those who are successful, don't we? We say that of those who have wealth. We say that of those who are beautiful. We say that of those who have been able to take the technology of this life and turn it into 
efficiency, and production. We say that of those who appear to have it all together. Do we sometimes, are we sometimes guilty of taking those value systems and bringing them right into our own lives, right into our own friendships, right into our own congregations? Do we sometimes size up one another as to how well we hit the cultural markers of who's living the good life? And then we intuitively slide into feeling, well, they are living the good life because they deserve the good life. What would it be like for us as a congregation of Grace and Peace Austin to more and more in the years ahead together see our city and see ourselves with these kingdom eyes that the kingdom is for everyone and that Jesus is looking out for those who have hit rock bottom. What would it look like for us to be a congregation to actively and intentionally recognize ourselves in that group, but also recognize that there are men and women and children, people all around us who we're overlooking and not seeing because we have the wrong value glasses. We haven't yet put on our Beatitude Kingdom glasses and we're missing them. What would it be like to see them and to bring them in and extend to them on behalf of Jesus this beatitude, welcome, congratulations, good on you. The kingdom is here because Jesus is here and he loves you and it's yours. Would you take it? Let's pray. God, we thank you for these beatitude reminders of the kind of life that you're calling us to, but we also thank you for the reminder of the kinds of people that you're calling to yourself, every kind of person. Thank you that we're included. Help us to more and more learn how to extend your gracious invitation to those around us. We'll give you the glory, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.